Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and today Jeff is going to be responding to the President of the United States on May 30th, 2022. Joseph R. Biden Jr. went to the Wall Street Journal and had them print an editorial of his. We're going to respond to it. I'm going to read it out to Jeff, and Jeff, you can react to it. You've already reacted to part of it in an article. Uh, titled President Phillips emerges to reassure on growing slowdown. And you posted that on June 1st, 2022 at the Alhambra Investments blog, because you're the head of global research at Alhambra Investments. Let me read a few lines from the editorial from the Wall Street Journal and you jump in anytime, Jeff. Okay. Joe Biden, my plan for fighting inflation. I won't meddle with the Fed, but I will tackle high prices while guiding the economy's transition to stable and steady growth. Do we Let believe that? Right right off the top. I mean, do we believe that the that he hasn't called up Jay Powell and said, hey, Mr. Powell, <laughs> Mr. Powell, the voters are angry. This is your territory. You have a dual congressional statutory mandate. It says full employment and price stability. Uh, I have to. I mean, come on. Nobody. As we've been saying all along, you and I, Emil, that uh, we believe these rate hikes are nothing more than political theater because rate hikes are not going to get oil out from the ground. They're not going to get shipping containers moved back to China. They're not going to do anything that's going to they're not going to do anything to alleviate the what what's actually causing the consumer prices to go up over the last year, which is last year's supply shock. So rate hikes are nothing more than politicians who are banging down the FOMC's door saying, do something, not just do something, appear to be doing something so that we can tell voters that we're doing something. And let's be clear from the start here, it wouldn't matter if it was Trump and Republicans who are in Congress and the White House or Biden and the Democrats, politicians are going to do what politicians are going to do, which is appear to be doing something about the problem, regardless of whether or not what they actually do can solve the problem. That's not really the political calculation here. The part that bothers me is the stable and steady growth part. Yeah. He's going to transition. <laughs> I remember, Jeff, I don't remember exactly when you did this. I'm going to say it's a year and a half ago or more now, but you went back in time and you took 10-year periods, chunks of economic activity in the United States, which were not stable and steady. There were recessions in them, up and down. So it wasn't stable and steady. But by the end of those time periods, these big chunks, the economy was ahead of where the U.S. economy was when you were measuring this in 2018. You were trying to show, yeah, we've been in a stable and steady economy and it's gotten us garbage compared to these rough and tumble 60s, 50s, 70s, 80s and 90s, which got us further ahead despite the occasional downturns that we experienced. So stable and steady growth sounds nice but it also sounds like yeah. i'm not moving stable stable and steady at putrid rates is not exactly the same mm-hmm. thing as what people picture when they hear somebody talk about stable and steady maybe we need Sign some real volatility here to kickstart yeah. things okay let's like that was just the subject oh, yeah, we're just, we even get into <laughs> we the barely got into editorial. this thing. <laughs> The global economy faces serious challenges. Inflation is elevated, exacerbated by Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Energy markets are in turmoil. Supply chains that haven't fully healed are causing shortages and price hikes. Yes. Sense reasonable. So far, so good. In January 2021, when I took office, the recovery had stalled and COVID was out of control. 
in those things are also year, true. Uh, if you go back well, to late 2020, um, you see the downturn in the economy. You see the uh, um, you actually not just the, the economy, but also consumer prices. I remember uh, back in late 2020, uh, pointing out the lack of com- a lack of correspondence or lack of correlation between the Fed's quote unquote money printing and how consumer prices were actually falling off at that point because the Fed doesn't actually print money. And that's never been the problem with consumer prices to begin with. So and this part, you got to agree with the president. Yes. Uh, when he started office, the economy was sagging, especially in hmm. December of 2020, when the unemployment cliff hit and things really kind of looked sad. But then President Trump's final action in office, the second helicopter, followed by the third, even larger helicopter in March and April of 2021. And that's really when all of the fun started. I'm glad you said that, Jeff, because I was under the impression that it was doing fine. My memory was not as good as yours and that it had turned a little bit later, March, April, May. But good. Very well. Another feather in the president's cap. In less than a year and a half, my administration's economic and vaccine plans helped achieve the most robust recovery in modern history. The job market is the strongest since the post-World <laughs> War II era with no. 8.3 million new jobs. The yeah. fastest decline in unemployment on record and millions of Americans getting jobs with better pay. This you is can hear the, the palms, everybody's palm hitting their head because, it, you know, he's not creating new insulting. jobs. These are just jobs that have that jobs that were lost that are coming back is not the same thing. And we'll find out tomorrow because tomorrow will be the payroll report for the month of May. But I imagine it's not going to be very good, as we're going to talk about later. But the point is that the U.S. economy is a million, according to the establishment surveys, the CES standard from the BLS, we're still a million two jobs short of February 2020. February 2020 was more than two years ago. We're in a 1.2 million jobs hole. And that doesn't count the 4.2 to 4.8, really probably should have been yes. 5 million jobs that should have been created over those two plus years in between. So the labor yes. market, by any reasonable and honest standard, is nearly 6 million jobs short of where it should be, which 6 million jobs is almost Great Recession levels of bad. Just to make that point clear, had we remained on our lousy, economic trend before COVID, we would have expected to get 5 million-ish more jobs over a couple of years. We went deeply south. We still are 1 million-ish short of where we were when we began our COVID journey. Plus, we have to get back to where we were on trend, which was lousy. And that's not an unfair expectation because that's what we used to do since World War II. Not after two years. I mean, it's, it would be unfair to say we're going to dig out of a 20 million job hole in six months. But sure. after two years, and here's the thing that really should scare the hell out of people. It's been two years in the most massive interventions by the government and the Fed in history. And the labor market is still short. Now, of course, everybody's going to say it's labor shortage, can't find workers. But this is this ba- basically the same pattern we saw following the great quote unquote recession of 2008, 2009, where the labor market gets cut down and really, really, really struggles to make it all the way back. The part that bothers me here is that he's comparing his recovery to everyone else's 
And of course, yeah, the recovery was tremendous because we went from zero to moving. It's grossly inaccurate and it's insulting to say, wow, it's the strongest recovery because the recession and the shock was the strongest one since World right. War II. So it's just completely but that's, disingenuous. You know, this is typical partisan Gross. politics. This, this is what politicians do. They lie to your face. They twist things. They twist facts. And this one's so they bald. All do it. bald. Yeah, bald I know. It's, it's, but that's, I mean, but that's, again, when you, you can't say, like, you know, during the, uh, the aftermath, the 2010s, nobody could ever say that the job market was robust and mean it, they'd have to use these weird comparisons because every, you know, it took, what was it? I think it was, uh, wasn't until 2015 that the level of full-time jobs finally surpassed the 2008 peak seven years later. So you have to kind of lie and spin and do all these sorts of things to try to make it seem like you know, your administration is doing the right things. You don't have to, you can be honest and straightforward and maybe that will lead <laughs> to a new social contract to say we are in serious trouble. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? Somebody, a politician being honest though. I don't know. Is that an unreasonable expectation? Yes, it is, but we need leaders. Okay. So here's a, you just mentioned that we had some strange comparisons and here's one coming up. Quote, a recent Federal Reserve report found that a higher percentage of Americans reported feeling financially comfortable at the end of 2021 than at any time. That's great. But the sentence continues. Since the survey began in 2013. <laughs> you see what I'm saying, Jeff? Like it's great at any time because we're using the Federal Reserve's uh, New York Consumer Survey Panel. Yep. Great. Okay. Since Jeff, are there any other consumer surveys that are available that go back, let's say, Don't decades? Yeah, so would... if, if we don't, if we compare consumer comfort to the worst episode since the Great Depression, we look a little bit better. Hooray. Hooray for America. Yeah, for people that don't know, the U.S., the Michigan Survey of Consumer Confidence is just pitiful right now. What's the other one? The Conference Board? Yeah, and the there's IBD. also the, invest, the IBD tip, the, some, uh, tip survey, which is likewise, like Michigan, the lowest since 2011. Ghastly results in these other surveys. With the right policies, the U.S. can transition from recovery to stable, steady growth and bring down inflation without giving up all these historic gains. During this transition, growth will look different. And Jeff, in my notes here, I wrote 19th National Party Congress, October 2017, <laughs> Beijing, quality versus quantity yeah, growth. Right? Tell the audience. I had the same thought when I when I uh, when he said stability repeatedly. I'm like, did uh, Xi Jinping write this? <laughs> yes, this is the point here. He's trying to make, which is essentially he's been he's bought into, or at least he wants the public to buy into the Phillips curve. So what you said, the title of my article was not. You didn't make a mistake. I called it President Phillips because President Biden is borrowing the. I hate to say it, but the exploitable Phillips curve model of Paul Samuelson and Robert Sola from the early 1960s that didn't really work out so well because there is no exploitable Phillips curve relationships to be able to exploit. What he's essentially saying is this age, ages old idea ever since A.W. Phillips put together a limited data set in the United Kingdom where it looks like uh, wages start to rise whenever uh, employment gets really moves towards its maximum. So there's a relationship, or at least he posited a relationship between low levels of unemployment and consumer price increases through the wage channel. 
And of course, that's something you've heard the Federal Reserve talk about a lot, not just in 2022, but also going back to 2017, 2018. The idea that at full employment, that's going to unleash wage pressures, which is going to then lead to consumer price increases and inflation. And so now that we have consumer price increases, if you believe that's because of wages, which it's not, but if you believe that's because of wages, then the answer to this quote unquote inflation is to cool down the labor market. We take some of the pressure away from the labor market. The Phillips curve says you trade less employment for lower inflation. So what Biden is saying here is that he's bought into this ancient, discredited, exploitable Phillips curve idea where he's going to knock on Jay Powell's door, get the rate hikes, get quantitative tightening going, and that's going to cool down the labor market and it's going to lead to price stability. So what he's preparing the Americans for is he's saying there's a slowdown coming. The labor market's not going to be as robust, but that is a good thing because it's this Phillips curve thing that we've been talking about or that you don't have to worry about it. Our economists have all worked it out on their complicated, sophisticated models, and they know exactly the right way to handle this so that we're going to transition from this rapid growth into a more stable, less inflation-afflicted system. Just like President Xi Jinping in October of 2017, he was telling people that were forced to sit there and keep clapping. Don't be the first one to stop clapping, Jeff. Never. Uh, hey, we're going to transition from rip-roaring quantity of growth to something that's quality and lovely, and it's going to be great, and don't you worry about it, because there's a slowdown. All right, here we go. If average monthly job creation shifts in the next year from the current levels of 500,000 to something closer to 150,000, it will be a sign that we are successfully moving into the next phase of the recovery as this kind of job growth is consistent with a low unemployment rate and a healthy no, economy. No, it's not. As we just, this is well, such crap, though. And you're right. This is, you know, can we expect them to be reasonable for once and honest for once? Because mm. at that 500,000 rate, it still wasn't enough. Because as we said, yeah. we are still in an enormous labor market hole. So 500,000 wasn't enough to get us out of that hole. And if we're downshifting now, that is not full employment going to something more stable and better. That is going from unsatisfactory and insufficient to even more unsatisfactory and even less sufficient. So uh, something's not right here. Well, we're going to get into the specifics. The most important thing we can do now is to transition from rapid recovery the stable, steady growth and Why bring inflation down. Why would anybody do that? <laughs> oh, just, just think about it for a sec. Marketing. We don't want rapid yes. growth. We, we we hate rapid growth. Rapid growth is bad. But it's a bad thing that we, you know, it's the whole argument against, you know, the Phillips curve in particular. Why do we not like rising wages? Why do we not like rapidly rising wages? Because if wages are rapidly rising for organic reasons, let them go forever because companies are obviously comfortable in paying rapidly rising wages because they believe the opportunities in the nominal economy are there to make it worth their while. So what, even from a very basic high level policy position, why would you ever say something like that? We don't want rapid growth. <laughs> Come on. Because you because, you know, it's not coming. So you're marketing ahead of time and managing. Yeah, and they're trying to connect rapid, good growth with consumer prices. And that's, the, you know, again, the Phillips curve, 
is was dubious from the very beginning. And of course, Samuelson and Solos attempt to turn it into an exploited, exploitable Phillips curve, as Milton Friedman pointed out, just blew up in their face because it didn't work that way either. So now that we're back repeating this early 60s mistakes and trying to justify what's going on, as, justify a slowdown as if it's an intentional policy choice. I mean, we don't want rapid growth. Make that your campaign slogan then. See how it works. As it, Yeah, exactly. As if uh, they were in charge of the economy at all. This is a, a delightful part, and I hope the audience who's been with us can give us credit in knowing that this is not partisan in any way, but it's more of just commentary on politics and politicians. But I delight in this section here. Quote, that is why I have made tackling inflation my top economic priority. My plan has three parts. First, the Federal Reserve has primary responsibility to control inflation. You see, Jeff, I love it. Me, my plan, those guys. Oh, those guys. When they screw it up, I can say they did. They're, they're responsible. Yeah, my plan is those guys are responsible. Yeah. All right. Second, here's part two of the plan. Second, we need to take every practical step to make things more affordable for families during this moment of economic uncertainty, to boost the productive capacity of our economy over time. Congress could help right away by passing a clean energy tax credit and investment that I have proposed. So again, sort of those guys. How does that move goods from China through the West Coast ports and crap where railroad schedules and lack of where? I mean, it's not, you know, he's, he talks about practical steps, but these are not practical steps. They're not even real. They're not even connected to the job at hand, which I mean, I, I suppose when you start to, to write an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, they wanted a certain length. So you got to fill yeah. it with something, right? Well, here's some more. Well, I like, again, that he's saying my plans, the Fed's going to be in charge and also Congress needs to do. So not really me. OK, but we can also reduce the cost of everyday goods by fixing broken supply chains, improving infrastructure and cracking down on the exorbitant fees that foreign ocean freight companies charge to move products. We'll make housing more affordable, reduce the price of prescription drugs, and lower the cost of child and elder care. All right, fair enough. Fair. Yeah, well, that's a th I mean, if they could, first of all, ocean freight rates have started to come down already, which is a particularly ominous sign that the quote unquote inflation problem that, we're, that we've been suffering has already solved itself. But still, I mean, at least he's acknowledging that this is a supply shock and that part of the issues there are the, are the supply and logistical issues. But, you know, like most federal government, quote unquote, stimulus programs, they always come in after the recession is over. Think about when the mm. ARRA was passed in 2009, after the Great Recession had reached its, alt, uh, its ultimate bottom, which some people like to say that that's the reason it did. But that's really how governments operate. They come in after the problem becomes so bad. And then as it's already finding its own solutions, they start to offer my solutions, me solutions. I have this plan. Third, part three of this three-step plan, we need to keep reducing the federal deficit, which will help ease price pressures. 